Turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3, we're continuing on in our Goodness of the Gospel series. And I hope that you are just falling in love with the Bible. The Bible is true. The Bible is our anchor. And I was just thinking, coming to church today, man, this is another beautiful opportunity for us as a family, a spiritual family, to just dive in and study the Word of God. This is good news. And today we're going to be talking about something that's, that's very real for all of us. But let me begin with a, a story. I had this experience about 15 years ago. We were going into Asia, going into Sri Lanka, right after the tsunami that had devastated and, and taken many lives in 2004. And I've told this story before about one village we landed in that no one had reached yet, none of the aid workers. And as we went in, we had a, a diversely gifted team of teachers and counselors and medical professionals. We saw God move in a beautiful way. Our teachers were bringing joy to the children. Our counselors were helping people with their emotional trauma. But one of the most demonstrative things we were seeing is these miracles just breaking out with very dramatic healings, people who had suffered from the tsunami. And subsequently, after each miracle, the person that saw the miracle would come to know Jesus. And in one day, we saw a church planted in a village that had never had one. It was absolutely amazing. But that was juxtaposed to the next day where we went yet to another village, another village that had never had a church, and the same thing started happening. They brought us a man who uh, was lame in one leg, and we didn't have any medicine for him, so we started praying for him. His leg was actually frozen, and right before our eyes, his leg started moving, and like right out of a movie, people started just gasping. You heard this, oh go through the crowd, and people started running towards us. People started bringing more and more people that were afflicted. And as we prayed for them, people were being healed. And so we were quick to share, this is power. This is not from us. This is Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior of the world, who died for your sins. We started preaching the gospel, and people were receiving it so excitedly until this van comes in that has speakers on top. And they start blasting this this loud verbiage. And so we asked our translators what we we're saying. And they said, they're saying, don't believe these people. Don't listen to this message. They're speaking things that are against our religion. And suddenly, people who were so excited to embrace the truth, people who were so excited about healing, started turning. And instead of pulling us and asking us for help, you started seeing their faces turn into scowls. And our, our people started being... Uh, like having to, to run away, and, and quickly I was saying, run for the van, run for the van, everyone. And we ran, and as we ran for the van, people started pounding our van, slamming their hands against it, even shaking this van, and I made sure we had everyone, and we took off, and we all breathed a sigh of relief that we had been able to flee before violence had happened. And it was such a clear picture that not everyone that experiences the glory and power of God receives it with open hearts. But in fact, sometimes even when God is moving powerfully, there is opposition. Today I want to talk to you on the title of Overcoming Opposition. Overcoming Opposition. Because the scripture is very clear, in the last days, there'll be great opposition towards Jesus, the gospel, and the church. And we're seeing that more and more in this generation, but God wants you to be prepared, and God wants you to be an overcomer, even in a dark 
hours. So we're going to start by looking at Mark chapter 3. We've been marching through the book of Mark in our series. And so here we go, Mark chapter 3, verse 1. Another time Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. So here we see a man who has a disability. And once again, like we said last week, as we looked about another healing account, people with disabilities in these ancient times didn't have the same opportunity that they would often have in our modern times with medical technology and the ADA different ordinances that have really uh, helped alleviate uh, much suffering. There was even a stigma about people with handicaps in these days. And so let's watch what Jesus does. It says, some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Now think about this, church. This is staggering. Jesus is here helping someone in need, helping someone that's suffering, giving them a better life. And a whole group of people, their whole purpose for being there, their hearts are so hardened, is they don't care about this man that's suffering. Instead, they're wondering if they could find a way to accuse Jesus. Well, he's not doing things exactly how we think he should. And then there's another group, the Pharisees and the Herodians, those are the government leaders, who are looking for a way to kill the Son of God, to kill this man who is only helping, who's only healing and restoring. You see, church, there will be opposition to the gospel. Jesus said this, if the world hates you, if the world hates you, keep in mind, it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That's why the world hates you. Remember that I told you a servant's not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. What is Jesus teaching us? He's teaching us expect persecution. He's teaching us Hey, I came as the Son of God, loving, compassionate, only wanting to help people, and the world hated me. And so church, be ready. They're going to hate you too. But the great news is, is that Jesus gives us these keys as we look at his life in Scripture of how can we overcome in the midst of persecution. I love that it says this. It says, they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. And then Jesus says to the man with the crippled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Now, here's what I think about probably everyone in this tent. If you had the power to heal someone, someone was afflicted, you'd do it, right? You, you, you would do it. If you saw someone suffering, your heart would be compassionate, and you'd want to heal them. But my question is this, would we be like Jesus who says, stand up in front of everyone? 
This is something that we're being tried on as Christians in this generation, right? Because I think a lot of us, if, if you could do it and you were at your work, you'd be like, hey, I can help you. Um, but healing's against our work policy. So let's wait to the lunch break and we'll go outside, right? Or, or you know, your student, hey, I, I can help you. Like, I can, I can heal you. But like, healing will get us in trouble on campus, so let's, 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 let's take off for off-campus lunch, and, and then we'll heal you. But I love what Jesus does. Jesus actually knows how the people are going to respond. It actually said that he was angry and, and distressed. And, and let me tell you, guys, there is a lot to be angry about in this generation. And actually, let me say another thing. It's okay as a Christian to be angry. Some of us are like, what? You no. The Bible says this, in your anger, do not sin. There's a lot of evil going on in this world, and it's you are being like Jesus when you're angry. It's what do we do with our anger? And I love what Jesus does. Jesus stands up and does good, not evil. He heals the man in front of them all. Are we bold with our good, followers of Jesus? I want to talk to you today about four different groups that will actually oppose the work of God because I don't want you to be surprised. I want you to know the enemy's schemes. And I want to talk to you how to respond to each of these groups as they oppose the word of God. And the first one we see in Mark chapter 3 is the Pharisees. The Pharisees would be people with a religious spirit. People with a religious spirit. If you're taking notes, write down people with a religious spirit. Now, some that are new to church are like, well, isn't it good to be religious? Like, isn't that what we want to do? Actually, what we are teaching is God is calling you to relationship, not religion. God is calling you to relationship. Here's what religion is. Religion is trying to adhere to certain rules and regulations in order to attain favor or merit or love from God. What Jesus says is this. Everyone is a sinner. We've all fallen short, and it's by grace that we've been saved, that we can't ever earn that favor, that merit. It's actually unconditional favor that God pours out of us. That's why Jesus died on the cross, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So it's not about us adhering to a certain group and looking a certain way. It's actually about walking in friendship with a loving God. If you're wondering what this whole thing is about, it's about a person. His name is Jesus and about you actually being friends with him. Like where you actually talk to him, you feel his presence, you hear his voice, you read this book, not as a book of rules, but as a book that's a love letter to you, that lets you grow in your relationship. So a religious spirit, the interesting thing is Jesus spent the majority of his time rebuking religious people. People that said, it has to be this way, this rule, this rule, this rule. Now I'm not talking about just the commands, I'm talking about they controlled people through this religion, but they miss the actual relationship and the grace and mercy of a loving God. So they had a religious spirit. So what did they do? Instead of looking forward to Jesus actually healing and helping someone, they, they were actually looking for a reason 
to accuse him. I want to go, if you'll skip over with me, turn two books over to John chapter 12. It's one of my favorite chapters in the Bible because it has this beautiful story. The story of someone that I want to be like. Her name is Mary of Bethany. Jesus, right before he went to the cross, goes to this home of Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, and he has this meal with him. And that's what Jesus is all about. He's all about communion. He's all about friendship. He's all about fellowship. And when he goes into this home, Mary does this beautiful thing. She takes this bottle of $80,000, a year's wages of this $80,000 worth of perfume, and she pours it out all over Jesus. This extravagant act of worship is just absolutely amazing, so much so that Jesus says wherever the gospel's preached around the whole world, what she has done will be told as a testimony about her. But what happens? When she does this, it says this in John 12, 4 through 5, but one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. Now, he actually didn't care about the poor. He stole from the treasury. And it says all of these other people started rebuking her. It says they were indignant and rebuked her. Let me talk to you for a moment because here's how you can recognize the religious spirit. There's certain things the religious spirit comes against. And one is extravagant worship or extravagant giving. The religious spirit comes against that. You might have seen it this way, and, and maybe, maybe you've experienced it a little. I, I remember when I was a young person, and I'd see people just lost in worship. And, and this was before everyone raised their hands to the Lord, and I'd be like, how dare them raise their hands in worship? They're just trying to get attention for themselves. Right? Did you ever have that thought before? You know, how dare them dance around? In church, they're, they're just, they're, they're, they just want, they're, they're just in it for themselves. Or I, I remember saying, how dare them raise their hands like this. They should at least receive this way to humbly receive from God. Right? Or how, how could you give, how could you give that much money to the Lord? That's foolishness. And, and so it, re, it rebukes extravagant worship and giving. Here's another thing says this in John 12, 18, many people, because they had heard that he had performed the sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting nowhere. The whole world has gone after him. Let me read you another verse that comes after that. Meanwhile, a large crowd, this is John 12, 9, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well, for on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. Do you realize how ridiculous this is? They're going to kill a guy that just was dead. Like, poor guy. He was just dead, just raised from the dead, and now they're going to kill him again. Why? Because they hate Miracles, they hate the miraculous. They hate that Jesus is actually doing things. I, let me just tell you, some of the most extreme persecution I've ever gotten has been from inside the church, people who call themselves Christians, but who are against the miraculous. Why? Because it doesn't make sense to them. Why? Because if it's not happening among them, then they feel inferior, 
right? And so they've got to come against it. So I'll never forget the season in the church where we were seeing dramatic miracles. I remember someone had a, a, a hole in their heart, and it actually was documented miracle of it growing back. Someone else had lost their hearing in an ear. It came back. Another person had a torn ACL, and it was mended, and they were running. And then we went down to Mexico on this mission trip, and there were all of these unbelievable miracles and hundreds of people coming to Jesus. And all of a sudden, this Christian group writes an article against us. Like coming against us, saying that we were bad people. Why? Only because of miracles. Can I tell you, a religious spirit hates miracles. It hates the actual work of God. But we know from the Bible, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Don't ever believe a person who says Jesus doesn't do that anymore. That's actually bad theology. That's going against the word of God. Why would he be so good then and not so good now? A religious spirit, it also comes against this. It comes against people coming to know Jesus. John 12, 12 through 13, the next day the great crowd that had come from the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he that one comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. So the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. So they decided to kill him. Why? Because a religious spirit hates it when salvation is happening. I've actually heard people speak out against churches, even churches in this town that are seeing tons of people come to know Jesus. They speak against it. Why? Because they don't like that someone else is seeing tons of people come to know Jesus. You know what? When that happens in our city, you know what we say as all people? We say, praise God. Praise God they're coming to know the Lord over there. Right? We're all one big team. That's awesome. Okay, so I thought it might be helpful because we really don't like a religious spirit for us to take a religious spirit test. Because I want to tell you, it creeps in to the church, right? And so I've written this test for us that you're going to love. You might be struggling with a religious spirit if. So let's go ahead and take this test. Okay, you examine you take this test with me. You might be struggling with a religious spirit if you spend more time critiquing other Christians or listening to other people who critique others than examining your own life to be more like Jesus. And a hush came over the crowd. <laughs> Number two, you might be struggling with a religious spirit if you actually enjoy reading about or watching YouTube videos of how other ministers, ministries, or churches have messed up or fallen. Like there's whole ministries, there's whole people that their whole, their, their whole ministry is just talking about bad about other churches. Don't, don't, don't get into that, guys. Our goal is to be like Jesus. Our goal is to fall in love with Jesus. Number three, you might be struggling with a religious spirit if you are more concerned about having right and perfect doctrine than being in love with Jesus and loving others. Now, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying don't study. I spend hours in the scripture. I, I study the original languages. But if you are more focused on being right and perfect and winning arguments than you are about loving Jesus and looking like Jesus. You're falling into Phariseeism, right? The, the, Jesus actually looked at them and said, you search the scripture because in them you think you'll find life, but you fail to come to me, the source of life. 
why are we taking this test? Because I think that this battle within, this religious spirit is one of the things that's hurt the church in America most. So we want to get out of this. Okay, number four. You might be uh, struggling with a religious spirit if you spend more time critiquing the words of worship songs or sermons than you do responding wholeheartedly in worship or in humble conviction to sermons. Right now you're going, Robert, this is a really good test. How did you write this? Why? Because I, I've struggled with this, right? You know, you're in the middle of worship, and instead of pouring out your heart to God, you're like, I don't know if I like how that was said. Or if I would have written that, I would have said, how I, I, I can't tell you how many times I had people come up to me in this amazing song about the love of God, and they're like, um, but he comes and gives you a wet kiss. They're like, uh, uh, they're like no, that, that is, and I'm like, I know, but like, Get over it and worship. Okay, like, I know, I, but, but I'm not writing the songs. And, you know, or, or right, you, you have to, like, as long as humans are doing ministry, songs and sermons aren't going to be perfect. But I, I believe that God, you know, is, is, is like, People, you know, we're, we're listening and scoring worship leaders' songs. You know, oh, that's a 6.5. But what if, what if the angels are looking at us and going, oh, your response, three? <laughs> Four point five. Right? It, it, it's not your calling to be the, you know, the, 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 the spiritual wine kind of, that's kind of good. Right? Our, our calling is to respond wholeheartedly. What might, you might be struggling with a religious spirit if, number five, you're angry at people who mess up and sin versus broken and saddened for people who mess up and sin. Lord, give us, give us a broken heart. Because we all sin. We all fall short. Now, I'm not saying that we just need to be sloppy with sin. I am absolutely not. If you know me, I am not saying that at all. I am, I am all about leadership and leaders being pure and walking through restoration. But if we're angry versus brokenhearted, maybe something is wrong. Number six, you might be struggling with a religious spirit if you spend more time correcting and rebuking the church than you do restoring, healing, and encouraging the church. Now, we, 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 we want a pure church. We want a, a holy church. But can I just tell you, so many people, they're just constantly criticizing and, 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 and constantly rebuking and not spending their time actually putting their shoulder under the work and lifting it up. And there's only one plan for the salvation of the earth, and that's Jesus and his bride, the church. So whether you like it or not, there's no plan B. It is the church, so we need to be people who restore it and renew it. Number seven, you might be struggling with a religious spirit if this test offended you. And don't worry, I'm slightly offended by this test too, and I wrote it. All right, let's keep going. The next group, so we talked about one group that opposes the gospel and the kingdom is, is people with the religious spirit. The next group is family and friends who don't understand you. This is a really hard one. This is, keep going in Mark chapter 3. Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered around so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, 
he's out of his mind. Okay, can you imagine? Like, you're saying about God, he's out of his mind. The Son of God, he's out of his mind. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, your brother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers, he asked. Then he looked at these seated in a circle around him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sisters and mothers. This is one of the hardest things I've found is when you're actually the opposition comes from your own family. My, my mentor, the first guy that discipled me, he's now a missionary in North Africa. And tragically, his mother had died. And so then when he decides to be a missionary in North Africa, his father said, if you go and do that, I do not agree with you and I will disown you. And he had to decide that day, who am I going to serve? Am I going to serve my dad who I love or am I going to serve my heavenly father who created me and has called me to serve him? He chose his heavenly father. Now, the amazing thing is this. The Bible says no one who's left father or mother, brother or sister, lands or fields won't receive that back in this life. You know, God is so faithful, and so God ended up giving my mentor this amazing wife that just loves him and, and this beautiful, big family. And about 10 years later, he restored that relationship with his father. You see, we have to decide, who am I going to serve? I'll never forget this young woman that was one of the first members of All People's Church, and she didn't know Jesus, and she radically met him, and it just started changing every aspect of her life. And she, she totally changed. Her morals completely changed. She, she, she stopped, like, the magazines that she'd read, the music she'd read. She changed everything, and, and, and one by one, her friends started coming to know the Lord. Probably over a dozen of her friends gave their lives to Jesus, and so she was being used so powerfully but then something happened. Her family weren't believers. And it started putting a division, not because she wasn't being kind to them. Actually, she was being so kind to her, 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 her parents, but her parents were living a totally different kind of party lifestyle than her. And so it started driving a wedge between them. And I remember her talking to us and just saying, like, I can't, my, my, my family's been everything to me. I can't, I can't not be close to them. And so little by little, she started compromising. And then before we knew it, she had stopped being a part of the church. And then within a few years, we didn't even know if she was following Jesus anymore. You see, you have to decide, who am I going to serve? Now, never stop honoring, never stop loving your family. But you're not on earth to please your family. You're on earth to please your Lord. And you see, when you live for him, you actually give your family the greatest gift, which is an opportunity to come to know him. I'll never forget another young woman. She was saved at San Diego State. She got, came to know Jesus, and then God actually called her into ministry. And her, her parents certainly didn't understand, but she just said, I've got to do what the Lord says. And, and, and so for years, she, she just walked this bounce, trying to love them, but them not understanding. But one day, I'll never forget the Easter where she came up to me and said, I cannot believe this, but my parents are coming to church on Easter. And, and during the Easter service at the end, I gave an altar call, a response that if people needed to come to know Jesus, that they could do it. And she said, I'm so sorry, Robert, but I actually looked up when you told everyone to keep their eyes closed. I said, you're forgiven. And she goes, I looked up. And she goes, I was in shock because my dad had his hand up. And she goes, so I just looked over at him. And I look over and my mom goes, she raised her hand too. And she said, I just cried. 
She goes, that day at lunch, I asked him, like, did you understand what he was saying? And they said, yes, and we've seen your life, and we want what you have. You see, you give your family the greatest gift, even if they don't understand you, because you are being an example of someone whose life is being transformed, not because you're perfect, but because you understood your need for a Savior. And you set yourself, your family up to receive the gift of salvation. Here's the next group that will oppose us. It's worldly people. Says Matthew 27, 44, in the same way the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. This is just absolutely insane. Jesus was perfect. He had never done anything wrong. He's dying a sinner's, a, 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 the worst criminal's death. The worst of criminals were on, on the cross. And here's some criminals next to him. And instead of going like, oh man, that's a bummer that this guy got it, like we deserve it. No, instead it says they hurl insults upon him. Absolutely crazy. Can I just tell you that there are people that you will have done nothing to that will just hurl insults on you because of your righteous life. That's what scripture says. Listen to this verse in John 8. This is what Jesus said in the Gospel of John. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I've come here from God. I have not come on my own, God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you're unable to hear what I say you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, and there was no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Let me just say it one more time. Every human on earth has one of two fathers. Every human has one of two fathers. Our loving God or the devil, who's known as the father of lies. Okay, and so that motivates me so much to talk about Jesus because it's hard enough to live life on this earth as a believer. But imagine if your father's the devil. You, you're living and all he wants to do is steal, kill, and destroy. That's why I love telling people about Jesus because I love rescuing people out of the claws of Satan. Because not only are they going to live with the, their father being the devil, then if they die in that, they'll spend eternity in hell, a place of suffering and agony. And so I love telling people about Jesus. How do you respond to, to, to worldly people? How do you respond? Uh, first of all, you forgive them. My, my, my son had this experience that I remember about that some, some, some of his authority figures came against him and said some really harsh things to him. Like, that shouldn't be say, said to a child. And so I, I was doing so, like a, a prayer inner healing exercise with him because I wanted to, to get him into the presence of the Lord and have God speak truth to him. But what he spoke, I was totally surprised by. So we, we go back into this memory, and, and, and I'm expecting God to just encourage him. And, and I go, did Jesus speak to you? Yes. Well, what did Jesus say? He said, he said, I need to forgive these people. Like, wow. So we did that. We actually named the people by name that had just totally degraded him. And I asked him, okay, how do you feel? He goes, I feel better. You know what Jesus did on the cross when he's being crucified? Like, I would have, I, I don't think I would have been able to do it. Like, people started hurling insults on me. I would have actually pulled my hand from the nail to show that I'm Jesus and be like, uh-uh, no, no, no. And then I probably would have been like, 
hey, uh, Lord, help, and blown him back, and then be like, hey, son, will you turn to darkness for a minute? Turns to darkness, and I'll be like, okay, all right, now, you know, back. No, Jesus looks at them and says, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. I tell you, church, if you are being persecuted at work, the first thing to do, the first thing to do is to forgive Why? Because I say it all the time. Unforgiveness is like you drinking poison and hoping someone else dies of that poison. You just keep drinking that poison, and so it's killing you from inside. But if you forgive, you can be free. You can be free, and you can unleash the supernatural power of God on the earth. So we forgive, and we bless, and we turn the other cheek, and, and, and here's the thing, you might not see them transformed, but look at what Matthew 5.11 says. It says, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because, I mean, you're like, oh, I don't feel blessed. Like, this does not feel blessed. I'm getting persecuted at school. People are saying evil things. I mean, this is common. This is, if you've ever had someone just say something mean and you're like, there was no reason, just wave your hand at me. Just wave your hand. Okay, I mean, that's all of us. And it says you're blessed. Why? It says rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. Do you know what we need to start doing when someone says something horrible to you at work? You need to look at them. Well, don't look at them. Go. And then turn around and go, cha-ching. Right? Cha-ching. Why? Because your reward is amassing in heaven. You are getting, if you believe in heaven, and if you believe in eternal rewards, which I've preached whole sermons on this, you're actually getting a reward every time someone persecutes you for righteousness' sake. Someone persecutes you, you're like, thank you for building my eternal 401k. (laughs) Thank you. I think my, my stock options just screw. My stocks just split, and they're gaining in value. Thank you. Your bank account is growing in heaven when you're rewarded. You might not ever see them transform. You will see some. There will be persecutors turned to praisers. I guarantee you. I've seen that happen numerous times. But even if it doesn't happen, you are going to be rewarded in heaven. So rejoice and be glad, Christian. The only way you won't is if you live your life so hidden that no one ever knows you're a Christian. All right, let's go to the last one. The last one, it says, uh, I'm going to move back to Luke 13. We talked about this last week. Let me finish with this. It says, at that same time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. Who is Herod? Herod was the government leader. He was the, the king over Israel, based in Jerusalem. Now watch what Jesus says. He replied, Jesus replied, go tell that fox I will keep on driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow, and on the third day I'll reach my goal. In any case, I must press on today and tomorrow and the next day, for surely no prophet can die outside Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you kill the prophets and stone those to see you. How I've longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you are not willing. Jesus says two things to do when you're oppressed by the government, okay? And let me just tell you, all over the world, Christians are being oppressed by the government. And in our own country, 
Christians are now being oppressed by the government. I was just reading an article this week of this sweet little Christian school called College of the Ozarks that they're having to be in this massive lawsuit because the government, because of an executive order saying, no, you can't live out your religious freedoms of girls staying in girls' dorms and guys staying in guys' dorms and girls showering in girls' showers. You have to let people who want to and say that they're this or that be in with those. They're like, we've never taken a dollar from the government. But now they're facing hundreds of thousands of dollars of fines, and even jail time. So how do you respond? How do you respond? Because this could happen to you. How do you respond? I love what Jesus says. Well, tell them we're going to just keep driving out demons. Tell them we're going to keep healing the sick. Tell them we're actually coming to their city. Right? That's where Herod was. He's like, tell them I'm actually coming to Jerusalem. And what am I going to do? He doesn't say then, though, I'm going to slap him. I'm going to hit him. I'm going to blast him on social media. No, he says, he says this. I'm going to gather people. I'm going to gather the hurting and the broken like a mother hen gathers chicks. And I'm going to draw them near to my heart. And I'm going to love people. Christians, we're coming into a day where opposition is going to be stronger. We're living out our faith. It's going to be more dangerous. We're saying the truth is going to be more hated. And what is our response? Our response is, I bless you, and I'm going to keep advancing the kingdom. I bless you, I forgive you, I pray for you, and I'm going to keep going forward. Because I want to tell you something, Christian. Persecution shouldn't be our biggest concern. Government opposition shouldn't be the thing we're most worried about. In North Korea, in Afghanistan, and even Iran, where the government is totally opposing Christians, the fastest growing church in the world is in Iran. Our greatest fear should not be persecution from, an oppos- from opposition and opposers in and, and government. Our greatest concern should be cold hearts. Our greatest concern should be apathy. And as our greatest, the, the church can, can endure opposition, it has for centuries, but what the church can't endure is Christians who aren't on fire for Jesus. So let's believe for God to do the supernatural in us. 